In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. The scripture that we read today from was from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 6. And in this uh, chapter, Christ focuses on what is the difference between Christian love and worldly love. We hear the word love all over the place. We hear the word love in the media, saying that love should be between any two people, regardless of who they are, regardless of their gender, that this is something that should be allowed and condoned and accepted for the sake of love, for the sake of love, because we want to be loving, because we want to show love. What does the word love mean? And what is the context by which that Christ speaks about love and how is it different from worldly love? In verse 32 of chapter 6, it says, But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if we think about this, this is very true. It's easy for us to love someone that loves us in return. We have our closest family, our closest friends. Maybe we feel love to them and they return love also to us. And so we feel kind and warm and close and intimate with these people. And so it makes it easy to love. But the kind of standard of Christian love that Christ is telling us, he's saying, what credit is that to you when you love those who love you? Don't even consider that to be love. The kind of love that he is calling us to love is to love those who hate us to love those who hate us. And if we can love those who hate us, then we can say maybe we have love, that we can show love. So the standard of love and the word love has been so changed and perverted by the world that sometimes we lose a sense of what does it mean to love? What does it mean to love? So the Christian standard <clears throat> that God is setting for us is much higher and loftier than the standard that we receive in the world, which is why we say that the only way for us to attain such a standard is through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. This is not something that we can just, you know, do. This is something very difficult, very difficult for us to, to give to those who demand from us unlawfully and, and to, to treat them with respect, to treat them with kindness, to pray for those who abuse us and use us, to bless those who curse us. All of these things are Christ speaks about here in this chapter that we read today. Um, I want to speak about um, the natural man the natural man versus the spiritual man that St. Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Again, when we speak about how is it that I live according to the standard of Christian love, St. Paul makes it very clear to us that the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man cannot live according to this standard of love that God has set, that God has specified for us. So we cannot say according to the standard of the world that we are going to live this way. Actually, according to the standard of the world, to live this way is ridiculous. To live this way is not even a goal. Why would I want to live this way? Why would I want to live according to this law of love that Christ has set, apart from the love of God that we have for him, and that we want to live according to his commandments? Why would anyone in the world that is not a Christian, that does not believe in God, seek to live according to this standard of love? It seems co contradictory and contrary to everything that we feel. It, we feel that it is not right to love our enemies. We feel that it is right to destroy our enemies. We feel that we should defend ourselves and to protect ourselves and to you know, fight against and take revenge against those people who are trying to hurt us. But this is not the standard that Christ has set that we read about here um, in the Sermon on the Mount in Luke chapter 6. So the idea that, that we are not the natural man, we are the spiritual man. The spiritual man is those who have been enlivened by the work of the Holy Spirit that is working in us, that we receive in a holy confirmation on the day of our baptism. 
This is the work that God works in us through the work of the Holy Spirit. That it is not possible for someone to love their enemies the way that God has commanded, except through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So what are some of the things that Christ asks us to do? What is this standard of Christian love and this Christian standard of living that God has called us for? So he speaks about what on the Sermon of the Mount, an eye for an eye. We know in the Old Testament, the commandment of, of the law was eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, meaning that if somebody harms me, I have the right to harm them in return exactly the same way. This was actually the commandment. This is what actually God allowed in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, he's saying what? You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but now I'm going to explain to you the better way. I'm going to explain to you the law of love according to the Christian standard. And the reason that this now again has changed in the New Testament is because we as believers have received the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, they were not capable of living at a higher standard than this. Even for instance, when he said, uh, when they were speaking to him about divorce, and he was saying, Moses, in the Old Testament, he allowed you to divorce because you are not strong enough to keep from divorce. You are not strong enough to maintain a faithful relationship with one person for your entire life. But now in the New Testament, having received the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to do what you previously could not do. So this is very important for us to understand, that we can only attain the Christian uh, level of love, the Christian standard of love, only through the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So while initially the law was an eye for an eye, meaning when someone harms me, I harm them in return, now we're saying no. I'm not going to harm in return. I'm not going to, to, to take revenge upon someone who hurts me by doing the same thing to them. He says what in, in Matthew 5.39? First, he says what about turning the other cheek? He says, I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. So we ask ourselves, is this a literal command? We ask, is this literal? Like if someone physically slaps us on the right cheek, that we'd simply allow them to slap us on the left cheek. Actually, we, we read in the scripture, both Christ and St. Paul were slapped, and yet neither one of them literally turned the other cheek. Literally to say, okay, now slap my other cheek. They responded. They actually defended themselves. They said, why do you slap me? What is it that I have done? Okay. So the idea of, of turning the other cheek doesn't necessarily mean in a literal sense. Again, it means what? That I should not be offended when someone harms me. And even if they continue to harm me once and twice and three times, we are allowed to defend ourselves. But even if they continue to harm me, I should not seek revenge against them. I should not attack them in return as they have attacked me. And I should not harbor this um, grudge against people. You know, sometimes we, we don't retaliate in a physical way. Sometimes when I'm hurt, I don't go physically do something. I don't physically go and try to harm people. But the way that I harm them is through hatred. The way I try to harm them is through hatred. I feel justified to hate people that are my enemies, people that have harmed me in some way, and I refuse to forgive them. I refuse to talk to them. I refuse to look at them. And sometimes people even leave the church completely because there is one person in the church that they hate so much that they can't bear to even come to the church to see that person. Right? And so in the end, the person who is hating is the one whose life has been so affected. 
the person who hates, not the one who is being hated, not the enemy, not our enemy, but we ourselves are the ones that are damaged by this. We try to run away and flee from the place that is life-giving to us, like the church, the place where we might have many other friends and many other good memories, and we might have service, and we might have all these other things, and we come and benefit. But because I have a certain feeling or hatred toward one person, and I can't bear to see them, then I avoid the place altogether. Or certain other groups of people that I try to avoid completely, and I rearrange my life, and I rearrange my schedule, and I avoid certain places, and I always feel like I'm trying to escape from these people. Or I'm always consumed with the thought of hatred toward them. Instead of what? Turning the other cheek, in the sense of what? I've forgiven you, I'm not going to chase after you, or I'm not going to try to flee from you. You are just like another person, any other person to me. I've forgiven you. Forgiveness does not mean that I agree with what you did. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you are without blame in what you did. Forgiveness means is that I will not harbor hatred towards you, and I'm not going to hold you accountable for everything that you have done. Instead, I'm going to say, let God judge, and I'm going to move, continue on with my life. So forgiveness frees us from this burden and this prison of hatred that, that we might harbor in our, in our hearts. Another aspect of the Christian standard of love has to do with when people ask us for things, how do we respond to them? When, 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 when someone comes and takes something of mine, whether they ask me, can I borrow something? Or whether they come and take it by force. It says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 40 and 41, If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. What is this idea? When someone comes and takes something from me, then I, that I'm compelled to give it. I'm forced to give it against my will. But when I give more than what is required, then this extra that I give is out of love. right? Why would anyone, when they are compelled to give something to someone, when someone compels you to walk one mile with them, why would they walk two? Why would they walk two miles? Except to say that I am not walking with you because I am forced to walk. I'm not serving you because I'm forced to serve. I'm not loving you because I'm forced to love. I am doing serving you out of love for you, out of because I want to serve you, because I want to give something to you. And this has to do with this concept um, that we've spoken about before, which is doing the minimum. Sometimes we have in our mind that I will do the minimum in everything. I will do the minimum in my fasting. I will do the minimum in my tithing. I will do the minimum in my serving. I will do the absolute minimum in absolutely every good thing that I can do in my life because this is the easiest path for me so that I can finish whatever it is that I'm doing and move on to do something else that I really want to do instead. right? But when I give actually more to God than what He has asked of me, then this is not about doing the minimum. This is not about doing what I, what I need to do in order to get a reward or in order for God to look at me and say, okay, you have done what it is that you need to do. But instead, it is doing it out of love for God, that I'm choosing to give even more than what I have to give. This is love, right? If someone comes, for instance, and says, come babysit my kids, okay? And I only need to babysit for one hour. And you say, okay, I'm going to make an agreement with you and here's the wage that I'm going to get for this one hour of work. Come and babysit my kids for an hour. And then after the hour is up, this person who is babysitting says, you know what, I really love your kids. I'm going to babysit them for another hour just for free because I want to help, I want to help you. That is so different because they're doing it for free. They're doing it willingly. They're doing above and beyond what's even expected of them. Right? This is the idea of giving more than what is required. Right? So we should put in our minds this, how can I give God more than He asks? 
How can I give him more than he asks? Because this is love. This is love. Also, uh, Christ says about whom we should give as the Christian standard of love. In verse 42, it says, Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Meaning what? Give to all. Give to everyone. Don't say that there are certain people that I am close to, these people I will give, and there are other people that I refuse to give. There's other people that, again, I hate them, I don't see eye to eye with them, I don't want to serve them, I don't want to give to them, even when they are in need, I don't want to give. This, this goes into the idea, again, of loving our enemies. How is it that one loves his enemy? Loving our enemies doesn't mean we're going to go hang out with them and go out to dinner with them. That's not loving our enemies. Loving our enemies means even if my enemy is in need, I will go and I will help that person. If my enemy has a flat tire, I'm going to go and help them replace the tire. If my enemy is in need of money, maybe I will let them borrow some money. If my enemy is in need of whatever it is, and I'm the only one that can help them, then I will choose to help them. And in doing so, we actually destroy the animosity between us. Right? What if, 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 if my enemy has wronged me in some way, the way for us to bring them shame and bring them to the point of where they are you know, willing to, to, uh, to apologize for what it is that they've done, it's not through revenge, it's not through name-calling, it's not through trying to avoid them, it's not about gossiping about them, it's about loving them. The more I show love to this person, the more that person will be unable to hate me. It will be impossible for someone to hate me, someone whom I am covering with love and showing love to them, they will be unable, they cannot hate me. And he goes on to say about loving our neighbor in verse 43, it says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, right? But then he says, well, no, you love your enemy. You, you love your enemy. It is, who is our neighbor? We have to understand this, who is our neighbor? Sometimes we define our neighbor to be in a very kind of uh, constrained way, like in a very, um, you know, limited way. We should kind of broaden our, our approach of who is it that God is calling us to love? God is calling us to love all people. God is loving us to, to, to calling us to love strangers, right? When we read in the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan, one of the great things about what he did is that the person that he served, the person that he saved his life, was a complete stranger to him. It was not a person that he knew, it wasn't a person that he had an, uh, a relationship with, but it was a complete stranger. He calls us to love our enemies. He says what in verse 44? Bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Meaning what? To bless. Meaning we desire good things for them. Those people who maybe we don't have the best relationship with, we want the best for them. We really sincerely desire good things for them. You know, sometimes when we have an enemy, we secretly desire them to fail. We secretly desire that everything that is good in their life collapse because that makes us feel vindicated. Or maybe we even believe that when those bad things happen to them, that this is somehow God giving us justice. You know, God is giving us justice. And so we feel this is right. You know, that God, God you know, m messed up something in their life. And so I feel this is good and this is what they deserve. And God is giving me justice. Actually, who says that this is God giving me justice? You know, if you look at the example of Saul and David, you know, David served Saul and he loved Saul even as Saul was trying to kill him. Even when Saul had the opportunity, or when David had the opportunity to kill Saul, he avoided it. He didn't want Saul to be destroyed. He didn't want bad things from Saul. He actually defended Saul and protected Saul. So we can't look and say, you know what, when something bad happens to my enemies, this is actually something coming from God as justice for me. 
No, maybe actually what it is, is something coming to my enemy so that I can demonstrate love to my enemy and help my enemy so that they no longer are my enemy anymore. Maybe this is God's will. Not to punish those people, but to give us an opportunity to show love to them so that we are, we are freed from this bondage of hatred that comes to us when we have this hatred toward a certain person. So we should bless those who curse us. Also, we should do good to those who hate us. Whatever opportunity we have to do good, we should take that opportunity. And also pray for those who spitefully use us and persecute us, meaning we should pray for them. You know, sometimes, again, when it comes to our enemies, we're praying against them. We're just praying for God to remove them from our life. We're praying for God to destroy them. We're praying for God to, you know, do something bad to them. Okay? No, he's saying, what? Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Again, this does not mean that they're going to be our friends. It doesn't mean that I'm going to hang out with them, spend time with them, because maybe that's not even a safe thing for us to do. But it doesn't mean that I can't pray for them and, and sincerely desire and wish good things for them. So this is the Christian standard of love. In verse 46, he says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. If we want to really say that we are Christian, and we want to say that we, we follow the commandments of God, and that we follow the Christian standard of love, then we really have to examine ourselves. Are we practicing what, what God has said, what love is? Do we only love those who love us, or do we love those who hate us? Again, like he says at the beginning, even sinners love those who love them. Okay, This is the standard that God is, is setting for us. So what is the result of loving our enemies? What did Christ say about all these things? Blessing those who curse us and doing good to those who hate us. Praying for those who spitefully use us. He says what? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. This is the goal, right? He doesn't say so that everything will be fixed. It doesn't say so that they're not necessarily going to remain our enemies. It doesn't say so that anything physical necessarily is going to happen in our lives. But he says what? That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, which is a spiritual reward. The spiritual reward is an intimacy with God. Is It's a being closer to God. It's enjoying the presence of God. It's knowing God and seeing God and experiencing God more in our lives. That we are sons of our Father in heaven because this is what God has called us to. If we want to be Christ-like, we want to be sons and daughters of our Father in heaven, then God is calling us to live a certain way. If we want to be considered children of God, then we live a certain way. I cannot live like the world and then say that I am a child of God. I have to live according to a certain standard. And if I try to live according to the standard that God has set, and I fail, as we all do, then I repent. I acknowledge that what I am doing is wrong. You know, even though maybe it feels good to hate my enemy, even it's very difficult for me to, lo to, to love my enemy, but when I fail to love my enemy, I go and I confess this, and I say, no, I was wrong. This is wrong for me. Even though this person harmed me, even though this person did wrong to me, it is still my duty, my obligation in the eyes of God to go and to love this person and to struggle to love this person. And this might take a very long time for us to struggle to love certain people that have hurt us in one way or the other. In the end, we are the ones that benefit when we love our enemies. We can actually turn our enemies into our friends. But even if that doesn't happen, we can at least be free from hatred. We can become sons of our Father in heaven, becoming closer to God. We manifest the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, and everything in our lives becomes better because we are not holding on to this hatred. 
Apart from this, what are some other signs of non-Christian behavior? Again, things that maybe according to the world are fine. According to the world, um, there's no issue with them, there's no problem with them. But according to the command and the standard that God has set, we should avoid these things. We should live above these things. We should not be conformed to the world and these things that are in the world. The first is impurity. Impurity. The world around us has so much corruption, has so much sin, has so much impurity. Whether sexual impurity or other kinds of impurity, it is, it is around us in every place. And we find ourselves sometimes, maybe, because we are in the world, and because we let our guard down, we find ourselves doing these things, or watching these things, or being a part and participating in these things that are, uh, that are impure. So we have to ask ourselves, what is it the standard that God again has set? It is not the standard of the world. It is not the same standard as our neighbor, as other people around us, maybe that our our co-workers or our friends that are outside of the church. They're a completely different standard. I have to ask myself, what is the standard that God is, is calling me to live and to take that standard seriously? Our language. What do we allow ourselves to say? What do I allow to come out of my mouth? Do I speak in a way that's just like the rest of the world? Or do people look at my language and they say, you know what, there's something different about this person. He, he, he refuses to say certain things. His words are always kind. His always, words are always gentle and, and full of love and compassion. <clears throat> Gossip. Okay? Gossip is something, again, that's very common. Do we allow ourselves to speak about other people in a negative way for no purpose? For no purpose, just to speak badly about them, just speak simply to judge them and to share our opinion with, uh, about them with other people. Right? This is another way that maybe we need to improve in order to live to the Christian standard. Lying. How honest are we with the people around us? Sometimes we can get out of problems by lying. We can say small little lies that in our mind are really inconsequential, that nothing bad is going to happen if I lie, but I'm going to save myself a lot of headache. I'm going to save myself a lot of headache by saying this small lie. Do we allow ourselves to break the truth? Do I allow myself to, um, to, to not be conformed to the truth and instead to speak a lie against what God has commanded? And finally, anger. Do we allow ourselves to lose our temper to the point of being out of control, to the point of cursing other people, to the point of harming other people, whether it be verbally or physically? How do we control ourselves in the moment of anger? These are just a few of some things that we need to work on in order for us to live higher than the standard of the world. Maybe all these things, according to the world standard, there's no problem with it. We can live this way and we're not going to... No, everyone's going to say, you know what, you're a normal person. Because again, the normal person is the natural man. The standard of the world is the natural man. But God is calling us to live as the spiritual man, not the natural man. So we can't compare ourselves with any other person. And they say, you know what, I'm better than that person, so that means I'm good. Actually, we have to only compare ourselves with the standard that God has set, which is what we find in the Word of God in Scripture. When we compare ourselves there, we actually find that we have a lot of things to work on. We have a lot of weaknesses that we need to struggle on. So in conclusion, Matthew 5.48, it says, Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is our goal. This is what we're aiming to. We're aiming to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. We might never reach there. We're never going to be perfect completely. But our goal should be perfection. Our goal should be that I want to walk a certain path and I want to reach a certain place. And this is something that matters to me. I'm not just going to throw up my hands and say, you know what, I give up. I'm not trying anymore. I'm just going to live according to whatever happens. I'm going to talk to whoever. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to just kind of go with the flow of whatever it is that's happening around me. And I'm not going to take a stand for anything. In order to live this Christian standard of morality, we have to take a stand. 
in order to live this Christian standard of morality, we're going to offend people, right? Because we are going to refuse to live like them. And sometimes that might cause people discomfort. When they want us to go and do certain things with them, or to say different things, or to do whatever it is, we're going to have to say, no, I don't do this. This isn't something I'm going to do. And sometimes people are afraid to take this stand because they're worried about how the, the reaction is of people that um, they are with. But that should not be our concern. Our concern is not how the people around me are going to respond. Our, our concern is what has God commanded me to do and what is the Christian standard of life. So may God allow us and give us the strength and the ability to live according to this Christian standard and to keep it always in our mind and not to believe that we, if we are good, according to the standard of the world, then that means we're actually good. The standard of God is very different than the world standard. And glory be to God forever. Amen.